Comic Book Storylines is back. Thank you for listening. I'm Brian Sorensen, or Bry the Comic Book Guy, whichever one you prefer. You can check out my Instagram page, at Bry the Comic Book Guy, to see all the pictures of everything we talk about each week. This week picks up where we left off in the Age of Apocalypse. Magneto has a plan to set things right, and all of his X-Men are trying to get the key pieces he needs to do it. This week, not only do we cover the issue threes of all the titles, we also get a look at what the rest of the Marvel characters are up to, and who's even left in the warp reality in Universe X. This week's issues that we are going to cover, Astonishing X-Men 3, Amazing X-Men 3, Factor X number 3, Gambit and the Externals 3, Generation Next 3, Weapon X3, Excalibur 3, X-Man 3, and then of course, as I mentioned, X-Universe 1. If you're wanting more information that uh, what we're talking about, you want me to get more in-depth with you, you can email me, brythecomicbookguy at gmail.com. This week, the issues don't really have any particular order, except that there's something big that happens at the end of Amazing X-Men, and I'll just say that I've saved the best for last for this week. Events in X-Universe happen parallel to this week's and next week's issues as well for time frame references. And if we do have enough time, I would like to cover briefly something that's going on behind the scenes with Apocalypse's people in the one shot called The Chosen. So why don't we just get right into it with this week. We're going to start off with Astonishing X-Men number three. And we left off, Wild Child was thrown into uh, the wilderness. Uh, Sabretooth said, go find the X-Men, let them know what's going on. And we pick up Wild Child's being chased by Holocaust people. And then they give him a good shot, knock him unconscious. And then all of a sudden, uh, Holocaust himself steps on Wild Child and says, we have definitely caught you. And it throws off his people because they're like, you dispatched us from Indianapolis. How did you beat us here to Chicago? So we see that it is indeed a trap. It's morph shape changed into Holocaust. It's just set up to be a trap. They turn around and see Sunfire. And then all those guys end up vanishing. So Blink and Rogue end up coming on the scene. They're like, where's Sabretooth? So nobody knows how to communicate with Wild Child. He barely communicates with Sabretooth. So he touches Rogue, which her ability absorbs powers and memories. So he does that and shows her where he is. So they know exactly where they're going to. So their plan is to go rescue him. Speaking of Sabretooth, he's being dragged along the ground and Holocaust picks him up and he shows them exactly where they're going. It's their infinite processing plant. And it's the, the heart of Apocalypse's empire where they process and make all of their uh, sol- foot soldiers, basically. So Sabretooth is kind of strung up on this uh, rock face and Holocaust is just still pounding on him and telling him what's going on. And they're having this banter back and forth. They used to know each other, but Sabretooth is like, you know, you're making your own soldiers. You're stacking the deck, you know, survival of the fittest, blah, blah, blah. And then in one fairly big shot, Holocaust just scratches up and like just decks Sabretooth and he ends up falling to the ground puddle of blood and everything so you're like ooh what's going on there the next page or two we see a flashback told from Blink's perspective it's Sabretooth and Wolverine before all of this happened they're in this burning building and they're getting ready to leave and Logan says we gotta go but Creed says there's a scent I'm picking up we gotta get in there Wolverine uses his claws they open the door and it's Blink as a baby, and Sabretooth has rescued her. So that's kind of why she's kind of like his sidekick, understudy, whatnot. So they're kind of discussing all that. Now Sunfire is carrying the rest of the X-Men on this little platform that Morph made of himself to where they need to go. So they're on their way. Sabretooth will have the cavalry coming. Now back at the mansion, just briefly, we see Magneto and Bishop having this heated discussion. 
and he's like, you know, do you, can you do it? Can you take a human life? Are we going to be able to do this? We need to do what we need to do to fix everything. We don't have the luxury of, of thinking as ourselves, and we have to just do what we need to do. And while that's going on, Nanny is holding his baby Charles. All of a sudden, Nanny starts coiling up around Charles and puts him in this little spherical thing, and she disappears under the mansion. Now, Magneto goes, Nanny is following its prime directive to protect my son from any external threats. It means DEFCON Armageddon can only mean one thing. Apocalypse is coming. So they're like, ooh, Apocalypse is on his way, and they can sense it. So Holocaust is standing over his infinites back at that plant, watching all the new batch pretty much come out, and he's pretty proud of it. And the X-Men kind of infiltrate the place. Morph turns into a great humpback whale and catches them all off guard in the water. And then all of a sudden, the X-Men pour out of his mouth. It is kind of gross, but, you know, they end up trying to infiltrate, and they do infiltrate the facility, but they're looking for Sabretooth, but they also need to destroy the place. And out of the corner of her eye, Blink sees Sabretooth in a corner, and she uh, blinks over to him, and she sees him... Uh, you can see his rib cage and everything, and he's he looks like he's dead, chained up to a post. And she goes, oh my gosh, Mr. Mr. Creed. Then we get into factor X number one. As I said, they're no in particular order. And we're back uh, in the realm of Cyclops and Havoc. And Havoc knows Cyclops is a traitor. He has him dead to rights. And they're having this kind of argument like, you know, you're not the one to talk about responsibility. You were expected two hours ago. Uh, the guards found North Star and Aurora in a critical condition, but you already knew about that. And he's like, no, I hadn't heard about it. And he's like, you know, I have you dead to rights, but he's not going to say anything yet. And Cy- Cyclops, you know, they have an argument. He walks away. But Cyclops kind of looks around at the pens because they're in the pens of where Beast has all his subjects. And he kind of feels starts feeling bad for him. And then we get to there's a, a truck delivery that comes in, and it's Jean Grey. She's sneaking in to the facility to try and warn people, stop something. We're we're not sure what Jean Grey is trying to do, but she kind of has a flashback to where she thought Logan was going to take her out, but he didn't. So now she's on her way. Now she ends up getting stopped. Now there's this thing called the Black Tower in Beast's Lair. It's the brains of telepaths that they have that numbs all of their subjects to not uh, uh, fighting back. So she's this, you know, grade one telepath, so she's fighting back against it too. She ends up finding Sinister's Lair, which of course is trashed, and she's uh, thinking back to where Logan and Jean have taken uh, the information that Sinister given to give to the High Council. But she's interrupted in that little flashback by Havoc, who stops her, knocks her unconscious and says, ah, this is, uh, this is exactly what I need. I have the rope to hang my brother's neck in. He's kind of thinking that they're in league, but they're really not. But he doesn't know it yet. Let me go to Warren Worthington's Haven, Angel's Haven, and he's talking to Scarlet, which we know from the previous issues that Alex has a relationship with. And uh, it ends up the Bedlam brothers are arresting her. They come in and they arrest her for working with the Human High Council. And she's screaming for help from Warren Worthington. And he goes, does Alex know yet? And she's hiding something, too, because she's like, oh, please, God, don't let this be true. So uh, the Bedlam brothers are like, you know, we really don't want to have to come back for you. But all your people kept rounding up. It's only a matter of time before we close this place. And we go back down to the breeding pens. And Havoc is like, hey, you need to come with me. We both know you're a traitor. But this is how I'm going to hang you. And he brings him to Beast's lab where he has Jean Grey in one of Beast's machines. And uh, he's like, hey, you look stunned. You're not happy to see her? Now, back in the day before 
all of these events take place, Jean was a captured person, and Logan busted her out and scratched one of Cyclops's eye out, and Cyclops burned one of Logan's hands off. So they know each other, not just the way they do in the regular, uh, the regular continuity. And they kind of go through a brief little flashback of the events that happened up until then. So then Havoc pretty much lays it all out. He's, he says that he's working with Jean Grey and the X-Men and the Resistance and everything, but he's really not. And Havoc is just got him dead to rights, and Cyclops is like, I don't know what you're doing, you're grasping at straws. But Havoc has the uh, Gunthries, Cannonball and his sister Elizabeth, kind of hiding in the shadows, getting ready to attack, which he does, and they knock them both out, and they go, Beast, have at it for both of them. So Beast has them both strung up, and he's getting ready to kind of experiment on both of them. But before that, Gene kind of telepathically wakes Cyclops up, takes his uh, his visor off, which if Cyclops opens his eyes without his visor, his powers go, you know, just unchallenged. So he opens up his eye and blasts beats point blank. They escape and they're on their way to, you know, try and warn people or try and do something about it. The, and she tells them the human high council has their guns aimed at New York City. Uh, we need to liberate all of these pens. And then Apocalypse, we see, knows all about what's going on because Havoc has told him that there is a new prelate in town. It's Alex, not Scott. Now, Cyclops uh, is the last little elite person in Sinister's little circle there. So Apocalypse goes, uh, Cyclops is done. Sinister's done. The breeding pens were like their little bone to play with. Uh, I want all of the prisoners called immediately. So all those prisoners that Cyclops and Jean Grey are getting ready to free... Apocalypse just pretty much signed their death sentence right there. Then we go into the far reaches of space with Gambit and the Externals 3. They're saved by uh, Deathbird and her Starjammers, and they end up going to where the Emkron Crystal is that they need to go. But it's in the heart of their the Shi'ar Empire, and it's surrounded by this giant energy absorption shield. So Gambit and the Externals are like, we are way over our heads. We gotta steal this thing from that. So they find out that there's a Shi'ar space fleet behind them. Deathbird... Uh, teleports them down to the surface where the the crystal is and they end up fighting through a bunch of Shi'ar foot soldiers and everything and they see that the Emkron crystal it's not just this tiny little crystal it's like this big three-story looking crystal platform and they see that it's kind of cracked but Gambit and Lilla Cheney and Deathbird they go to right up to the crystal while the other externals are fighting off the the Shi'ar guys which they end up doing and as they're talking trying to figure out how to take a piece of the Emkron crystal Lilla Cheney is pulled into the crystal. Deathbird and Gambit end up going in with them, and they see the guardian of the crystal. His name is Jaff, J-A-H-F. Now, he's recognizable from in the way back in the day when the X-Men in the main continuity went to the Emkron crystal. He goes, I'm glad somebody's here. Uh, I'll be your host uh, while the universe is destroyed. So the externals are out there fighting. And the Emkron crystal blinks, and Sunspot, who can usually absorb solar power and radiation, his hand turns white instead of black, because it's a different kind of radiation and, and power that he's uh, absorbing. And just as the, the externals wrap up from beating up the foot soldiers, uh, Gladiator and the, the cop Richter that followed them through the portal are coming after him, and we see a battle begin with them. Now, Jeff explains everything to Gambit and Deathbird that's in the Emkron crystal. We see there her brother, Emperor Deken. The crystal's got, like, this beam on him and Lilla Cheney as well. So Jeff explains the whole thing on how the Emkron crystal is like a doorway 
Now, if the door is left open and it's, let's just say, the world you know is as real, then the draft would eventually reach other realities, which means when the main continuity was destroyed, it's only a matter of time before it goes down the line. Now, he says this is the biggest part of how the Age of Apocalypse happened and why things are happening the way they are. Gambit's like, wouldn't somebody have noticed if anything was going wrong? And he goes, one person does. Bishop does. He's a chronal anomaly. He was present at the exact moment when the different realities split asunder. Charles Xavier's death meant Jean Grey was never trained to use her powers, never became Phoenix, therefore never repaired the Emkron crystal in the actual reality. And worst of all, the actual reality failed, so it was only a matter of time before it spilled out into the other realities. So Gambit has to take the Emkron crystal, get it back to Magneto, and he goes... We don't have time for all of these other banter and, and saving people's lives. Steal the Emkron crystal shard. Send Bishop back in time. Stop Professor Xavier from being killed. And Gambit's like, that that doesn't sound too easy. Why, why don't you do it? He goes, I'm the guardian of the crystal. I can't affect it in that way. So Gambit ends up cracking a shard of the Emkron crystal. But it's still going nuts. Now, the battle with the externals and the Shi'ar are still going all around, but they're right near the crystal, so all of the Shi'ar guys end up blinking out and crystallizing and everything. So pretty much the externals and Richter are the only ones left. Now, Gambit takes the part of the crystal, and he tells Lila Cheney that it's time to teleport back to Earth. Now, the crystal area, the planet that it's around, it's all being destroyed at the last second. So right at the end, Sunspot takes Richter and tries to distract everybody else so the externals can get out of the way. And Sunspot ends up losing and dying at the end of there. He's consuming all the energy. He's burning up. And right before the whole planet explodes, Lila Cheney uses her powers and the externals blink back to Earth. And we get Generation Next number three. The kids in Generation Next are in the Seattle core. They're all kind of infiltrated the area trying to get to Ileana Rasputin, Colossus's sister, who's just a kid, but she has the spatial powers to go back in time and get Bishop back in time. Now, they're all trying to infiltrate, but there's a lot of Apocalypse's people, so they're all trying to get to Ileana as best they can. But as we've said in the first and second issue, it's one of the most heavily fortified areas in Apocalypse's empire. So the... Uh, Character Husk, who's a Sam Gunther's sister, she can take the shape of anybody when she puts her mind to it, especially in the Age of Apocalypse. She uh, turns into one of the head guys so that she can infiltrate everything better. Uh, but one of the other characters, Sugar Man, comes in. He's like this little troll-looking guy with four arms. And he says, I think we're looking at a break-in. We, we need to go find something. Uh, Shadow King noticed somebody surfing into our files, which happened in the first issue when they found Ileana was there. So uh, Sugar Man doesn't know that the X-Men have infiltrated or the Generation X kids have infiltrated. So he's like, okay, let's get down to it. Now outside the core is Kitty Pride and Colossus. They're waiting for the signal to go in and get Ileana, but they have to be secured first. Now the character Mondo who is like he he can has like these elemental powers where he can uh, absorb himself into the ground into machines and stuff like that so he's absorbed into the ground and he doesn't know it but he's right near Ileana Rasputin and their computer person know-it-all kind of appears right before them and she goes according to my readings uh, Mondo is yards away from rescuing Ileana Rasputin but they're still 1.6 miles underground all the rest of the characters have been cornered, like all of the other kids have been cornered. 
which they have, and they can use a little assistance from their teachers right now. But Colossus is definitely not thinking straight. He's going, no, the students understood the risk when they took the assignment. The only priority is getting my sister out of there. So all, he's pretty focused on it, and you can see Shadowcat still trying to fight him on it. Then we go down to the core. Mondo does find Ileana, takes her and kind of absorbs her into him, but he has a limit about a time because... If he absorbs her for too long, he's going to digest her into his mutant powers, and then she'll die. So that was the cue, and we see Colossus and Shadowcat on the way to help Mondo. Now, the Sugar Man has all the rest of the kids cornered, but they don't know that Husk is really his partner that runs the core. And the last frame is execute those prisoners, and we see Husk as the guy uh, start shooting at all the Generation Next kids. Weapon X number three we're going to see some uh, a character that uh, is in the mainstream Marvel universe that uh, we haven't seen in the Age of Apocalypse yet. And it's a, it was a surprise initially for this person to show up. But due to the relationship that she's had in the past with Logan, it wasn't really totally a shock. So Logan is heading to Mount Wondergore. Now, if you remember in the first episode, Mount Wondergore was the home to the X-Men originally in this time frame. Now, he's going there. What is he going there for? But Apocalypse has all these guards outside of it, which Logan ends up taking out uh, to get to Mount Wondergore. Now, he goes up to it, and he remembers that uh, it used to be his home for a while, and he ends up going by the grave of Wanda, um, uh, Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch, and pays his respects. And he ends up seeing that the whole place is abandoned, covered in snow. It's been years and everything. The X-Men pretty much abandoned it after that issue. So he ends up trying to walk up the staircase, but somebody won't let him. It's this lady comes out of nowhere, blonde. He says, you got to be Carol Danvers. So Carol Danvers is protecting whoever Logan's going to. Uh, she used to be an Air Force intelligence officer. Now she's uh, in league with the Human High uh, Council, and she's the head of the Human Defense League. So she's there protecting whoever is there. Now they're talking about going to see somebody named Gateway. Now, Gateway, in the main continuity, is uh, part of Generation X. He has this uh, ability. He has this little thing that he spins around, and he can teleport people when he spins it around fast enough to wherever they want to go. So Logan wants to get Gateway since the Human High Council's blimps blew up in the last issue. They need somebody to lead the charge to get the bombs over to America. And uh, we see the Human High Council is just still going nuts about the last issue, the airships uh, need to get their payload there. We're wasting time. Now, Brian Braddock, he's acting really weird, and he's like, I, I ha we have to do this. We need to get these bombs to where they need to be. So we see Logan and Carol Danvers go find Gateway, who's holding himself up in the top of Magneto's former base and everything. And Logan's just telling him, this is what you need to do, and you need to you know, come with me. But Gateway has surrounded himself by all these TV screens, and he's watching like all these TV shows and just ignoring Logan. But Logan, in a berserker rage, blows up all the computers, and he's like, okay, you need to come with me. He's like, I heard you. I just wasn't paying attention. Now, Logan picks up Gateway, but as he picks him up, he can kind of sense what Logan's thinking, and he can see what they want him to do and, and where they want him to go. He goes, you know what? I'm not involved in this thing. I told you, nobody, I don't want to be involved in this fight. I'm going to teleport you back, and that's all I'm going to do. But the cyborgs that were at the entrance to Mount Wondergore pull themselves together, and they attack Logan and Carol Danvers, and they end up tripping up Carol. And while that's going on, Logan's trying to protect Gateway because he's trying to, you know, obviously save him. 
So he tells Gateway to open up this portal. I've got a plane nearby that this is this is our escape back to England. So he says, okay, teleport us back to this plane. But the cyborgs go after the plane, and you see that it's taken over. It wasn't Logan's way out, but the cyborgs took over the plane despite what Logan knew. So they attack Logan and Carol and everything, and just before they kill Gateway and Logan, Carol Danvers grabs the, all of those guys and pulls out a grenade, and you see the, the this big explosion outside the plane. And Gateway, because of her sacrifice, says, you know, because of all this, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give the Human High Council a chance to convince me otherwise because of Carol's sacrifice. So he goes, okay, where is it? He goes, all right, head to Paris. And we got Excalibur number three. Now, Nightcrawler is trying to get to the Savage Land or Avalon, basically, in this time frame. And he was attacked by some scavengers and pirates and everything. And last we saw, Mystique showed up to kind of help Nightcrawler. And we see the after effect to that. Nightcrawler and his mom, Mystique, are quite the pair because they, you see all of the pirates just taken out by those two. Then we see them go off to Avalon. But Apocalypse's team, who had uh, the character Damask and a version of Deadpool, who they're calling Dead Man Wade, are following them because they want to know where they're going. And we see Mystique's got this castle at an Antarctic station right outside of where they enter to go into the Savage Land. And Nightcrawler's like, you need to come with me. And she doesn't want to go. She feels responsible for all the people that have died coming to and from Avalon. So she doesn't want to go. She doesn't think she's worthy to go. But Nightcrawler has a fight with her, convinces her to go. So they go to the docks, and they end up right at the point where Juggernaut, Kane, meets them. And Nightcrawler initially wants to fight him, but he's like, no, I'm a pacifist. I don't do this. He goes, my name is Kane. Mystique goes, okay, so if you're Kane, you're going to you're gonna take us to it. So he follows them to the Savage Land, and Mystique has never seen it. She's only been up to its shore. She's never been into it. And she's the only one that knows who Destiny is. So they go to the, to the Savage Land and we they end up reuniting. They haven't seen each other for years. And she goes, you know, I'm not here to stay. I need you to come with me. And she's kind of aghast by that. She goes, you know, I can't go with you because of this. Now she brings her to her house where that character switchback is. And she's talking about how we're all going to die. I can't leave yet. But just then, Deadpool... Dead Man Wade and Damask entered a savage land, but Damask was always told that the entire world has always been burning, but she's never seen grass, trees, birds, anything like that, and she's taken aback by it. But Deadpool's like, you know, that we have to kill everything and everybody, and she's like, I didn't know the world could look like this. Nobody told me. So she's having second thoughts for doing what they're about to do. So Destiny is being convinced by Mystique and Nightcrawler that they need to come back. She needs to come with her to Magneto, the timeline needs to be changed, and you're the only one that can confirm by touching the Amcron crystal and Bishop that everything went on. Now, that is when Deadpool and Damask end up uh, attacking, and uh, her hut ends up being blown up. But Kane, obviously, since he's the juggernaut and everything, uh, he's unaffected by it. So she's yelling at Kane to go after these guys, and he's like, no, I'm a pacifist. I, I can't do this. And we see this internal struggle really quick in Juggernaut's brain because he's really an angry guy, but he's suppressing everything. And he ends up, you see this light in his eyes just snap, and he falls to the ground and ends up dying. And his last word is Charles. Obviously, he's still Charles Xavier's brother and everything. So Damask and Deadpool end up starting the attack, but Damask finally has a change of heart, and she ends up attacking Deadpool. And she cuts Deadpool on his neck, 
but that's ineffective. So Deadpool kind of hits her and knocks her unconscious. But Nightcrawler jumps on Deadpool's back, holds his head, and teleports him. And he ends up teleporting Deadpool's head into a rock, and he ends up saving the day. Damask ends up turning tide and ends up saying, I'm going to join you guys. So the last issue is Nightcrawler with Switchback, Damask, and Mystique going, playtime's over, we need to get out of here. And we get to X-Man number three. And then the last issue, Essex had killed somebody, uh, one of the characters that had been running with Forge and his gang. And we left off Domino and her team, which had Caliban and the character Grizzly, end up finding Forge and Essex. And Forge kind of has this like blast grenade and kind of blinds everybody while they run away. Now he has um, the character Mastermind with him, who is an illusionist. So he's telling him, okay, you guys need to cover us while Nate escapes. So he has Mastermind kind of put this illusion in dominoes in everybody's head while Nate and his friend are running away, uh, Sonic from the last issue. And he's kind of telling Domino that Mastermind is the psychic that they're looking for while he's covering for Nate. But they don't believe him, and they're getting ready to kill him. Now, right before that, uh, Mastermind creates this giant illusion of apocalypse, this giant apocalypse coming up out of the ground. And he's like, how dare you question me? This is the, this is the telepath. But Domino ends up shooting Mastermind and blowing the illusion. And she's getting ready to kill Forge, but then Nate, instead of running away, came back to rescue Forge. He ends up just blowing right into Domino and just attacking Domino. So now it's like a fight with Nate and Domino. She's trying to use her guns and brawn and everything, and Nate's using his telepathic powers and everything. And the other characters are fighting each other, Toad versus Caliban, and actually uh, Toad ends up beating Caliban, but Grizzly ends up beating Toad, and they end up both you know, dying. So now we're left with just Forge, Sonic, and Nate against Domino. So Domino's getting ready to kill everybody else, but Nate kind of telepathically goes into her head and kind of just rips her brain apart, and she ends up falling, dying. And Forge just kind of goes over to him, hugs him. He's like, oh, I thought I lost you. Uh, Forge, you so always said I had the power to take on Apocalypse. It's okay if we don't test that out right away. And he's like, the hardest part of growing up, Nate, is knowing when you're ready for things and when you're not ready. So they kind of go off, bury their dead and everything. And Forge ends up finding the body of Brute, who Essex killed in the last issue. Now Essex is right there with Forge. And he goes, it was the woman Domino killed him, not me. I tried to stop her. And then he Forge goes, Essex, don't defile the memory of my friend. We both know you're here for Nate, and I will fight you to my last breath. And then Essex goes, well, this shouldn't take very long. And then we see Nate kind of brushing off everything and trying to help bury the dead and everything. And he gets this flash that Forge is in trouble and he's hurt. And we see that Forge is dead. He ends up killing him. And Nate kind of has this sonic blast and everything, and he's picking up all these memories of Forge right before he finally passes over. The last image he sees is Essex. Now, in this big telepathic rage, he blows up the house that they're in and everything, and Essex is right there next to him. And Nate kind of blasts him with his energy, and he ends up falling down, but he gets back up and shape changes into Mr. Sinister. And Mr. Sinister goes, you want answers? I will give them to you. Now the big one, Amazing X-Men 3. We saw that Nanny took little Charles and ran away because of the threat of apocalypse coming. So we see Magneto and Bishop in the cemetery of the mansion, and he's standing over the grave of Charles Xavier. Now Bishop has a weapon, and Magneto says, can you fire over my left shoulder and ends up being a, a horde of infinites being teleported directly to the mansion by the character Vanisher, which is a teleporter and uh, a manipulator of time and space and everything. 
So he ends up teleporting all of the foot soldiers in and then disappears. Magneto and Bishop make quick work of him. He goes, he, uh, he's really here, Bishop. He's ready to strike. And then he does. Apocalypse starts fighting Magneto. Now Bishop's like, no, this can't happen again. We, I can't let this happen. So Bishop gets taken out. Apocalypse just knocks Bishop unconscious. And now it's just Magneto versus Apocalypse. He takes Bishop's weapon and fires at Apocalypse, kind of blinding him for a minute. But Apocalypse kind of shape changes into this giant version of himself and ends up just pummeling Magneto, throwing him around, trash and everything. And he ends up knocking him unconscious. And we go see Nanny, who's underground in what in the main timeline would be the Morlock Tunnels, her escape route. Vanisher shows up and he's like, I'm here to take the baby. But Nanny's defensive kicks in, uh, defenses kick in, and all these guns pop out of him. And little Charles is smiling as she goes, I'm here to protect Charles Lyncher without a cost. And we see time passes on. The amazing X-Men come back. Storm, Exodus, Dazzler. Banshee, Iceman, Quicksilver. They come back to the mansion after the battle, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. They find at the gravesite of of Professor Xavier, Magneto's helmet, and they say Charles has gone too, but they find Vanisher in the tunnels, and he's got laser burns and everything, and they're like, hey, those are Nanny's defenses. We need to go find him. So Quicksilver ends up trying to find last-minute information before they go off and find Magneto and everybody. So he goes to Haven, where uh, Angel is, and he's already saying Haven's falling apart, everybody's turning on me but quicksilver goes and says what's going on what happened so angel ends up telling the whole thing he goes the man called bishop and magneto were taken down by apocalypse himself uh bishop is in quebec in the madri temple and magneto is here so quicksilver's like i don't have the manpower and the army to fight both of them and then angel goes who's more important to your plans magneto or bishop so they choose that it is bishop who we see in quebec with all the madri and the shadow king uh, goes into uh, bishop and says all right what who are you really and why are they why do they want you so bad so he ends up absorbing bishop's memories and he sees everything that they're trying to do the corrupted timeline the current the real timeline what was supposed to happen so then shadow king's like this can't be possible so he ends up retreating from bishop and Abyss ends up coming in and going, hey, if time's up for the Age of Apocalypse, Abyss isn't going to allow it. So he ends up kind of shackling Bishop because he knows the X-Men are coming. So Quicksilver gets back to the mansion and he tells the X-Men, we have to go to Quebec to save every to save Bishop because he is very important to a plant. So the last shot is uh, the X-Men going off to Quebec to save Bishop. Now, as promised, this next issue, X-Universe, it's going to show the human side of things and other characters. Right away, we're given a treat in the first page. It's Gwen Stacy. She managed to live. She's in a foreign land and you you can see a uh, kind of decrepit statue that's in the background of a Black Panther because they're in a war-torn Wakanda. Wakanda is not the beautiful place it is. It's like this really decrepit area uh, filled with refugees and dying and sick and everything. And Gwen Stacy's there to help. And they're attacked almost immediately as she's walking around by uh, what's called the Marauders. It ends up being uh, Osborne and Fisk. You know them as Norman Osborn and the Kingpin. And there are like these apocalypse enforcers towards the humans in Europe. So Gwen Stacy's trying to attack them, but uh, she's got just like this one little gun. Ends up taking one of them out, but then all of a sudden this big gigantic robot spider with all these medical supplies drops everything on the rest of them. We see the inside of that spider, and it ends up being Anthony Stark driven the machine by Clint Barton. Okay, so there's two Avengers there. So they end up taking out the rest of the invaders and bringing medical supplies to the people in need. Now, Tony Stark has the a piece of the Iron Man plated armor around him hooked up to all these tubes, so 
He's clearly injured like he was in the original universe. Now, she doesn't like Gwen. Yeah, she doesn't like Tony Stark. And she goes, where's Ben? So you're like, ooh, is that Ben Grimm? Now, she's got a gun pointed at Tony Stark, but somebody out of the crowd, a blonde-haired guy with a beard, Donald Blake, Dr. Donald Blake, who she's friends with, tells her to put down the gun, and he hugs Tony, and they're apparently old friends. So then we go to London, where there's an apocalypse armada, but it's not to attack. Now, one of the human planes that's kind of guarding against that uh, Apocalypse Armada is somebody named Susan Storm who is reminiscing about her first love, Reed, and the burnt corpse of her baby brother, Johnny. The pilot of that ship is one Ben Grimm. So this is half of the Fantastic Four. They didn't get their powers and everything. And they're escorting Apocalypse's uh, ambassador, the prelate Rasputin, Mikhail Rasputin. We finally get to see that fourth horseman that Apocalypse was talking about way back in X-Men Alpha. So he's kind of there, kind of trying to barter with the Human High Council. And he's got this little, he's got this little deck of all of his trusted right hands. And he's got this person that he calls Murdoch. He's blinded, has this armor on him, and he's got uh, his, uh, he's got like a little binder around his face. It's Matt Murdock, Daredevil. Like, ooh, okay, that's something going on too. So while the humans are escorting Mikhail's ship to the surface, they hear on the radio that something is happening, abort the mission, abort the landing, and there's huge, giant explosion where all of the field scientists and everything were experimenting on these radiation things and bombs and everything to help deliver the payload. But one of the bombs went off early. Then they go in to try and see if anybody can be rescued. But they're knocked asunder. Like, Ben is knocked unconscious, and Sue is kind of staring at this big gray Hulk. It's the Hulk, only gray. Like, he he became... Bruce Banner ends up becoming the Hulk in any reality. So they're trying to fight the Hulk, and Sue ends up blasting off the Hulk's ear. He punches her away, and he goes and runs off. So they go chasing after him. And they end up finding Dr. Bruce Banner, who has a similar injury. They don't put two and two together yet. But they're like, hey, he's one last surviving member of the, the scientist team and everything. So they're trying to get him all bandaged up. Now, Mikhail lands and ends up meeting uh, the diplomat, the Human High Council's diplomat and their uh, head of Eurasian security, one Victor Von Doom. Now, uh, Mikhail gives this speech over all of London where all these people are talking about uh, unity He's trying to kind of say, you know, I don't want the war. We need to come together to fight Apocalypse. And he offers all the humans to come aboard his ship as a leap of faith. So all of the humans end up going aboard his ship. Everybody we've met so far, Van Grimm, Sue Storm, Victor Von Doom, Bruce Banner, Gwen Stacy, all those guys, Donald Blake. But they get aboard and Mikhail ends up revealing that he was just faking it. And he had this telepath, this empath, draw the crowd around him so they kind of believed him. And he kind of fooled them into coming aboard. In the last issue, uh, the last part of the issue, we see Ben Grimm lighting up a a cigar going, well, ain't that special. At the end of this issue, we see uh, Human High Council's uh, membership roster. We see some of their former members that have been killed in action. T'Challa, Reed Richards, Johnny Storm, Frank Castle, Peter Parker. He was never activated, but he was killed with his aunt and uncle. Namor killed in action as well. So that would have been interesting of all those guys. So we're at the end of this week's episode. We got to almost the conclusion. There's still two more parts. We're almost there. I guarantee you it's going to be a blast. So join us next time as we cover the issue fours and kind of wrap up the whole thing of Age of Apocalypse before we go into this special bonus episode after the next where we cover there's an anniversary storyline that goes beyond what happened in the 
So until next time, thanks for listening.